we're delighted that you joined us on this Easter morning. I celebrate that so many of our people have elected to uh, balance out the earlier services so that 9.30, instead of us being here like sardines, we have room to worship, and I hope you're appreciating that. This is a gorgeous morning. We've been very blessed in the early services by God, and I can say now, not wondering, but with absolute assurance, that God can give you today a transfusion of hope and joy and good news. And I think those are gifts that every one of us can use to some degree today. I know there are those here today perhaps dealing with grief from the loss of a loved one, maybe since last Easter. <clears throat> some of you are here struggling with disease. And all of us have concerns to some degree about the present and the future. And I believe that God ordained Easter to come at a time to give us that transfusion of hope, to remind us he's still alive, still in control, still has a message of good news for us. Now, I can't fully explain what God will do in this hour of worship, but every year, something magnificent and therapeutic and reassuring happens at Easter worship. I believe every one of you are here by divine appointment, and I hope you'll leave as, mi as many have already saying, you know, that service was meant for me. That'll be our prayer. Would you bow in prayer with me? Our Heavenly Father, we celebrate today the hope of Easter, a hope you so graciously provided in the gift of your Son, Jesus. On this glorious day, accept our gift of worship. It's filled with joy and gratitude for your amazing grace that makes our lives as Christians possible. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus, our resurrected Savior. Amen.
church. There is no audience. We're only a family. And we must be a family, particularly on Easter when we have so many guests with us. And what families do is reach out and love each other. Let's give some handshakes and hugs and welcome each other. Happy Easter. <laughs>
because Jesus does look beyond our faults and sees our need, we have the hope of eternal life with the God of the universe. Just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so we have the same opportunity to be resurrected from the dead places in our lives. Let's affirm that truth as we read responsibly together. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? If there is no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are in Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have
did you see how much fun the choir had singing that? I want to do something a little bit differently now. Rather than just the normal speech about our tithes and offerings, after I say a statement, I want you to say, Alleluia. Are you ready? It is finished. Alleluia. That only got to the ceiling. Let's have it get to the Lord. It is finished. Alleluia. He has done it. Life conquered death. Jesus Christ has won it. And as the ushers please come forward. You did a great job. I want to point your attention to the envelopes in the pews, special Easter mission offering. Some of the areas that we're going to be uh, giving those funds to are camp scholarships for young people, improving the teen center at Rancho Santa Marta in Mexico, provide a van to support the orphan work of Love Russia, and help our friends at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship with a second staff member. Now I have to also point out that if you don't use the special Easter mission envelope, and if you just put your uh, offering into the plate, then that will go to the regular funds of the ministries of this church and our other missions. But those special missions that I just mentioned, please use your Easter offering. Now let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessings on our giving. With glad hearts, we worship you and celebrate the greatest gift of all, salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we gratefully pray. Amen.
If you'll turn your pew Bibles to page 1,121, that's 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. In this passage, the Apostle Paul explains why Christians can face all circumstances, even death, with joy and hope. Listen as I read about our Easter hope. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. When I think of the world your hands have made and how it
troubled world, it's so refreshing to come and gather in the name of Jesus Christ and feel his warmth, his love, and above all, his hope. I pray that you'll give us eyes to see, hearts to receive, minds to understand his message of Easter today in these next few moments. We pray in his name. Amen. With the millions, I watched the Academy Awards last week, and I was impressed with two particular people, Christopher Reeve and Kirk Douglas. 
If you watch them, you might join me in saying, such courage. Christopher Reeve, former Superman, now a quadriplegic, breathing through a trach tube. And he challenges the audience to do something with the potential power of motion pictures. And then there's Kirk Douglas, my former hero, Spartacus, a guy that was Hollywood's he-man, standing before the world, face paralyzed by a stroke, speech impacted, swallowing his pride, and he stood up to thank, be thankful for his family. I found myself, as I listened to both of them, wishing, I wish I had the power to give these guys something more than courage. I, I wish I could give them hope beyond the frailty of their bodies. And then I thought of Easter and the fact that Jesus does offer the only real answer for that kind of frailty and the only real certainty that beyond life's frailty, there is life and a new body and a new hope. Death in itself is not a user-friendly thought. Why? Well, for most of us, death represents the end of everything for which we're living. And Easter is about life beyond death. And when we lose that hope, something happens to us. Look at our society. Increasingly, Americans have become obsessed with postponing death as long as possible. Consider television's hottest commercials, uh, health riders, ab tighteners, and all the exercise machines that promise to extend life and keep us young. And I use them, and I think they're great. But they're not, they don't give eternal life. This body is still aging. As I always tell you at Easter, it's one year older, and I feel it. Then there's a new book, Enter the Zone. Maybe you've heard about it. It's among the 10 bestsellers, and it introduces a new diet that claims it helps prevent cancer and heart disease while giving a better quality of life. I'm trying that too. I've been on the Zone diet for six weeks. You're going to hear about it if you haven't. Um, I have a new quality of life. Uh, and then there's a few like George Burns who do a great job postponing death. I've often wondered why they haven't used him in a cigarette or a cigar commercial. Uh, he puffed those things for over 100 years, and he still made it. And then there's Sophia Loren, my dream. Uh, <laughs> and I promised my staff that's all I was going to say about her, except <laughs> did you read the recent article of how she stays young? She's 62, and that's pretty appealing at my age. And, you know, they gave a list of things I won't mention of how she stays young, if you read the article, but there's one that impressed me. She goes to bed every day at 4.30. And I decided I'd prefer to live a little less and live a little more. Well, anyway, thinking about the frailty and brevity of our lives, doesn't it become obvious why our Christian faith has survived for 2,000 years? Why Easter still holds such attraction for so many people in spite of its total eclipse in our society and all of the attacks and skepticism that's been leveled against it? Jesus remains the one person in history to have done something very significant. He rose from the dead, and now he offers those who trust him eternal life, and you don't find that offer anyplace else. Therefore, it's important for us to hear again two things that Jesus says about Easter. First, he assures those who trust him that we do have a future beyond physical death in heaven. He says, because I live, you will live also. That's a very electric statement if we get in touch with our mortality. The implications of his promise are beautifully expressed by this writer. 
We think we're in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying, when in reality we're in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. Coming to terms with this reality prioritizes everything, money, things, time, friends, family. We were built for a relationship with God. This present world makes sense only when we live here in light of another world to come. That writer is absolutely right. Paul the Apostle said, if only in this life we have faith in Jesus, we're of all persons most to be pitied. So what is Easter? Easter is a wake-up call telling us to stop living as if this life is all that matters. Life's brief and life's fragile. If you don't believe it, Remember what happened the opening day of baseball? A popular umpire dies in front of the whole world suddenly, and that kind of shocks everybody. The game stops. My son invited me to his dental school last week. Our first stop, stop was the anatomy laboratory where there were 25 cadavers stretched out on tables. And I walked into the room and I said, I need Easter. Uh, <laughs> it was a sobering sight because, you see, our society really hides death. We don't run into it too often. And I thought again, life is fragile. Life is brief. And without hope, cynicism and fear and despair would quickly fill our souls. But for Christians who have an eternal hope, this is what we say through the Bible. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, we can accept the fact that we're mortal. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Why? Because we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have an eternal house in heaven. I have a friend suffering from a chronic disease, and I was just talking with her about Easter a few days ago, and she said, you know, I've been sick a long time, and I'm glad I have the Easter hope. I'm glad to know I'm going to trade this body in for a new one someday. You see, she had a hope beyond her disability, and that's what I so wanted for Kirk Douglas and for Christopher Reeve, and perhaps they have it. I don't know where they are spiritually. But we need something more than courage when we're dealing with frailty. We need hope. And sometimes we have to be confronted by our mortality before we can fully appreciate the relevance of what Jesus is offering. Malcolm Muggeridge rightly observed, the only ultimate tragedy we can experience on earth is to feel at home here. We can never believe that dying is gain until we firmly believe heaven is real. That's profound. So the first truth from Jesus about Easter Christians have an eternal future. And because we do, don't limit our dreams and desires to this world alone. It's over very quickly. Something better is still to come. A second truth Easter offers is that once we're assured that we have eternal life, we're free to make our lives here count for something significant. Bob Buford, in a book that all of you should read, it's called Halftime, made an engaging statement. None of us knows when we will die. But any one of us, if we wish, can select our own epitaph. He claims it's up to us what our legacy will be. So I want to ask you today, have you ever thought about it? How do you wish to be remembered? What do you want said about you? There's a tombstone in a local cemetery right here in town that's molded after the radiator grill of a Mercedes-Benz. And that says a lot about the person underneath. Uh, Many of us have achieved success as defined by our culture. But what I'm finding is many of you who have found success want something more, and perhaps that's best called significance. We want our lives to be significant. Knowing our time here on earth is limited 
can be a catalyst for putting significance into every precious moment and guarding us against wasting time on insignificant pursuits. The psalmist writes, the length of our days is 70 years or 80. They quickly pass and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Albert Schweitzer wrote, when we're familiar with death, we accept each week, each day as a gift. And only if we're able thus to accept life bit by bit does it become precious. There seem to be two ways people deal with the reality that life is limited. The common way, and then what I'm going to call the smart way. The common way is to put death out of our mind, as our society does, lose ourselves in all kinds of pursuits and pleasures and narcotics, be skeptical of the teachings of Jesus and the church and judge the church by TV evangelists and all the stuff that you see, and then adopt the philosophy, I only have one life. And if I'm going to do it, I better do it now. If I'm going to buy it, I better buy it now. There may be no tomorrow. This philosophy leads people to make many tragic decisions with little regard for the long-term consequences of those choices. They can drop families. They can drop careers. They can indulge and ruin their health because there is no tomorrow. Who cares? Ideas of sacrifice and self-discipline make little sense if one doesn't possess a future eternal hope. Then there's the smart way to deal with the brevity of life. Make peace with our mortality by becoming a believer in Jesus. And hold to the confidence that we have an eternal destiny in heaven. Find a hope beyond physical death. And that frees us to make our years rich in those things that go beyond success. Rich in things death can't take away. Rich in significance. So I want to ask you, do you possess a certainty that you'll be with Jesus in heaven when the time for your death arrives? And that time will come. Can you say with Paul the Apostle, I know if this early, earthly tent I live in is destroyed, I have a building from God? If your answer is no, you have lots of company. I was amazed that even Tom Brokaw, far from a professing Christian, was rather amazed at what the media did this week. Never do the leading magazines all feature the same article on the same front page. This is more than coincidence. U.S. News, Newsweek, and Time all featured a so-called Easter feature, the search for Jesus, a new debate about the risen Christ, uh, and on and on it went. I want to ask you, uh, what is the purpose of those articles? It's important to note that these scholars that they listed are not Christian scholars. They're scholars, they're skeptics, under the aegis of being Christians. They're not speaking to the church. They're not speaking for the church. This church is not searching for Jesus. I'm not questioning the resurrection. I'm not needing more information about Easter. But these things come up every Easter, every Christmas, as if this is some profound new insight. These so-called scholars in the Jesus Seminar would be lost in irrelevance if the media didn't give them coverage. Let me give you an example of the kind of research they do. I'm a historian by training, and these guys supposedly are. They reconstruct the history of Jesus, not using the source book, the Bible, but some fragments. They create their own versions of the resurrection or lack of it. And one of the scholars said, you know, the biggest problem with the resurrection is that the only evidence is the empty. 
And I wanted to ask, what kind of an oxymoron is that? <laughs> That's supposedly profound, worth reporting in three magazines. The only evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is the empty tomb. I don't mean to debunk these guys. I just don't want them to take the name Christian. They're not speaking for me. They're not speaking for the church. They just don't get it. I need to say, Newsweek redeemed itself with the last paragraph after seven pages of the other stuff. It, I quote, there has been no new data on the person of Jesus since the Gospels were written. After they used three magazines telling us about all this new stuff, there has been no new data written on the person of Jesus since the Gospels were written. Apart from Scripture, there is little that one can say about the identity of Jesus. Not everyone can or will accept that belief, but without it, there is no Easter. That's absolutely right. Now, if you are here as a seeker and you're intellectually honest, go read these articles and look at the basis of their evidence, and then let me share with you, I want you to check out the facts of Easter as recorded in Scripture, the most reliable ancient source we have from the first century. And these facts have convinced millions through the centuries to become Christians. There's millions of people whose lives have been changed radically by believing them. In fact, Easter has to really be experienced. You're never going to find it in the laboratory, but these are the facts. Jesus told his disciples in advance that he would be crucified and on the third day be raised from the dead. Because of his prediction, the religious leaders had the tomb secured by a large stone with a seal and a Roman guard. Before dawn, a miracle occurred. Bodily, silently, victoriously, Jesus was raised from the dead. Astonished people visited the tomb that morning and found the stone rolled away and the body gone. And then they were asked by angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not among the dead today. He's alive and he's standing here today with open arms, inviting you to receive what he died to give you eternal life. You know, it's so simple to become a Christian. I don't know why everybody doesn't do it. Let me tell you how. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you've searched and haven't found it anywhere else and that he died for your sins and trust that because he lives, you will live with him in heaven forever, the Bible says you're a Christian. You're born again. It's that easy. That doesn't mean the grace Jesus gives you is cheap. It cost him his life. It's very, very precious. It's cheap to you because it costs God so much. But the moment you receive it, you're born again. And the Bible says we start a spiritual journey of putting away the old life. It doesn't happen all at once. The old life we can't keep. And then we begin putting on the new life we can never lose. What a way to live. And I'm happy to tell you the door to heaven is still wide open. And there's not one of you that has ever done so much in your track record that you're not worthy to be there. The door is open to anybody who wants it because the blood of Jesus Christ covers every mess you've made in me and, and all of my, the messes I've made of my life. I wish I could communicate just how much God loves you. The church has done such a poor job of communicating love. We paint him as a judge. We paint him as somebody ready to zap us and kick us out. And if we goof up, the church and God doesn't want anything to do with us. That's not God. If you want to know God, his love was exhibited on the cross, dying the death we deserve, paying for your sins and mine. I would just invite you today 
to take a step of faith, because that's the only way you'll ever understand Easter. It's an experience. It's not a laboratory procedure. And you can join me and us, who after we reached out and took the gift of salvation, Jesus became as real as any person I know. He's radically changing me, has and continues the job. And then you can have what we have on this Easter. And that's all of the encouragement and the certainty and the joy that we're finding following him in a troubled world where so many people are just absolutely in despair and don't know what to do. We Christians know God's in control. We know there's a future and we can shout hallelujah. So today, I'm going to close with a prayer. And if you'd finally like to take that step of becoming a Christian, all you have to do is, in your heart, pray this prayer, and it'll happen. If, I wish I could give you something more complicated if you're that type, but Jesus didn't leave us that option. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, you know my skepticism. You know my journey. You know the messes that I've made and how I feel so undeserving of you. I don't understand how your death on the cross saves me 2,000 years later. I don't understand most of this thing called Christianity, but I do know I need help. I need a Savior. And I know I can't, I want eternal life, but I'm not going to find it apart from you. So I'm going to take a step of faith. Help me in my unbelief. And I'll just take what I know, as much as I know, and trust you as much of the God that I can understand today. I'm going to hold your hand. I want to be a Christian. Would you accept me? And you know what Jesus is going to say? Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. That's the good news of Easter. God bless you.
now it's your turn. We're going to join the Christians through the centuries and share our traditional Easter blessing. When the pastor says, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Goodbye and God bless, and may you have a blessed Easter. Thank you.